You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be back with you. Let me just say thank you so much for the invitation to minister with you throughout today. I have really enjoyed my time with you, felt very encouraged. It's very obvious that you have a missionary heart as a congregation or as two congregations. Let me encourage you to continue that and seek to build on that in the days that lie ahead. Uh, Let me just also remind you that on the table as you leave, we still have loads of goodies out there all ready to be taken away. So don't forget about your little uh, leaflet for Diego and Stella and also uh, the Vision magazine as well. You'll find lots more resources out there. Please take them, use them as you see fit. Well, let's turn now to that portion that we had read just a little while back uh, to Romans chapter 10. But this evening, we're going to focus our attention on just two of the verses that we had read, verses 14 and 15. Romans 10, 14 and 15. Let me read them once more for us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel is the greatest news in all the world. And sharing the message of the gospel is the greatest privilege in all the world. Just think about it. You and I are invited to be involved in the world's greatest initiative, to participate in the planet's biggest project, and to engage in history's most exciting enterprise. We get to play a part in God's great mission. We get to play a part in getting the message of salvation all the way to the ends of the earth so that people from every tribe, every language, every nation would trust and treasure Jesus Christ. What an awesome privilege and what a remarkable responsibility. And here in these two verses, You and I, we are given our missionary marching orders, loud and clear. This is one of the most striking and stringent calls to evangelism in the whole Bible. And it involves every single one of us who know and love Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, we need to remember that these verses are set within the broader context of chapters 9, 10, and 11. And in this section of Romans, the Apostle Paul is principally concerned with Israel. But even so, the teaching in our passage, verses 14 and 15, holds true for missions to all people in all times and in all places. 
Just look back to verses 12 and 13, where Paul himself has just stressed that Jew and Gentile can enjoy the riches of God's grace. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, this good news must go to all men and women, Jew and Gentile, near and far, until the coming of our Lord. The inescapable responsibility, then, of the whole church is to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Now, very simply this evening, I want to pull out the five key verbs from our passage. I wonder, did you spot them? But here's the thing. We're going to study these five key words in reverse order. A very Northern Irish way of doing things, isn't it? So we're going to look at sending, at preaching, hearing, believing, and calling. Now, don't panic. That sounds like it's going to be a really long one tonight. I promise you, it's not. We're going to move quite quickly through each, each of these key words. So firstly, God sends his people. God sends his people. And this is where it all begins with God sending his people. You see, before anyone can proclaim, before anyone can hear, before anyone can believe, before anyone can call out for salvation, God's people must first be sent. This is the starting point out of which everything else will spring. Now, of course, in the immediate sense, it is the local church who must send people But in the ultimate sense, it is the sovereign Lord himself who sends his people. For it is God who constrains, it is God who compels, it is God who equips his people to go with his gospel. And here already, friends, we are being reminded of a foundational truth that is often forgotten today. That mission begins with God. The instigator, the author, the originator of all missionary activity is God himself. Indeed, at every significant milestone in the great drama of redemption, we see this, don't we? It was God who sent Abraham. It's God who sent Moses and Jonah and Isaiah. And in the fullness of time, it was God who sent his own Son, Jesus Christ. See, behind it all stands the Sovereign Lord, the missionary God, the one who sends his people out. So first and foremost, then, mission must be seen as God's work, not ours. Yes, we who are Christians, we have the incredible privilege of playing our part in this magnificent missionary enterprise. But we must never forget that ultimately, this is his work. This is his mission. This is his plan. He is in charge. He is in control. And that means he decides what the aims and objectives are. He decides what the principles and practices are. All that is to say that this is God's work, 
So we must be sure to do it God's way. So then let's ask, what does God send his people to do? What is God's plan for mission? Well, secondly, then we learn that God's people must preach. God's people must preach. Now, the verb here, to preach, reinforces the idea of authority because it refers to a herald, more specifically, a herald of the gospel. Now, what in the world is a herald? Well, in ancient times, long before the invention of mass media, uh, the nation's king or emperor would have heralds. And the role of the herald was vital because heralds helped the king get his message to his people. And so at the command of the king, the herald would set off. He'd make his way to the appointed destination. He'd find a, a good spot perhaps the city square or a marketplace, and there he would stand up and he would broadcast the king's message. So you see, the herald was the king's representative who went to the king's people to proclaim the king's message. And in precisely the same way, we who are Christians are God's representatives who have been sent to God's people to proclaim God's message. We are to go and make known the good news he has given us. Now, permit me to pause here just for a second to highlight a really obvious, but I think timely truth. It's this. To be a herald, you've got to use words. Or to put it negatively, you cannot possibly preach the gospel Without using words, verbal proclamation is utterly essential in evangelism. And yet, today, loads of Christians are not convinced about this. In fact, some believers have a very different approach and understanding. I wonder if you've heard or even used that uh, popular saying attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel Use words if necessary. Sounds great, doesn't it? Basic idea being that proclaiming the gospel by our example is much better than by proclaiming it with our words. But there are two profound problems with that quote. Number one, St. Francis never said it. And number two, more importantly, it is simply not biblical. Why? Because the gospel is a message. The good news is just that. It's news. It isn't something that we can do. It's something we must announce. Now, of course, our lives must back up the witness of our lips. But fundamentally, the gospel is a statement of fact. It's a proposition that needs to be A, proclaimed, and B, understood. Now then, here comes the million-dollar question. What exactly is this message that we've been called to communicate? What is the gospel? Imagine for a moment you're chatting with one of your friends in work or at school. After a while, the conversation switches to spiritual things. And then your friend looks at you squarely in the eye and says, 
So what exactly do you believe? What is the message of the Bible? How would you reply? Hmm. Well, here's what you could say. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus Christ has done to rescue us from our sin. It's a great summary. But of course, you'll want to unpack that, won't you, a little bit? And one of the best ways you can do this, not the only way, but one of the best ways is using four words. God, man, Christ, response. So God, God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and will punish sin. Man, all people, though created good, have become sinful. We are separated from God, hostile to God, and subject to the wrath of God. Then Christ, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of sinners, and rose from the grave in order to give eternal life. And finally, for response, God calls people everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Christ to be saved. There you have it. God, man, Christ, response. That is a great little framework to tuck away in your mind for that next guilt-edged gospel opportunity. Why not memorize it? Follow it next time you get to talk to that interested friend. Well, let's keep moving to the next vital link in the chain of salvation. We learn here that lost people must hear. Lost people must hear. Listen again. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? It's as though the Apostle Paul is leading you and I by the hand up to some great height where we can stand and survey the peoples of the world. He wants us to see the plight of lost mankind. Paul says they have never heard, and so they have not believed, and so they cannot call on him. They are lost and ruined, standing at the very edge of eternity. Think about the world around us. You know, it's estimated that of the 7.8 billion people alive in the world today, at least 2 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. More tragic still is that there are over 3,000 people groups which are not only unreached, but unengaged. What does that mean? It means that not only do these 3,000 people groups have no outreach, no church, no missionaries, no Christian materials, they also have no one planning to reach them. Says one author, there is only one thing worse than being lost, and that is being lost and having no one try to find you. Narrow the focus. Think about Europe, as we've been doing today, our own continent, once the very center ground of Christianity, today the least evangelical continent in our world. 
Think about a place like Spain, where 10 million people live in areas without a single evangelical church. Or France, there's currently only one church for every 30,000 people. And please, let's not forget the Republic of Ireland, our next-door neighbor, which has the lowest percentage of evangelical Christians in the English-speaking world. We could go on and on, highlighting the massive needs in country after country across our continent. But let's narrow the focus still further and consider the mission field much closer to home. Think about your family, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends at school and college, your next-door neighbor, person you work with. Have they heard the gospel? Have they heard it from your lips? Dear friends, remember, time is short. Life is fragile. Eternity is sure. Heaven or hell awaits. And whether it's across the world or across the street, lost people must hear. But let's keep moving. For we also learn from our passage, fourthly, that those who hear must believe. Those who hear must believe. Look again at the progression in Paul's argument. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Paul is explaining that people need to hear in order that they can believe, in order that they can call and be saved. Now, notice that Paul is equating calling on the Lord with being saved, which means, therefore, that when Paul talks about believing— well, he must mean something other than saving faith. So what does he mean? Well, what Paul means is that before people can call and be saved, they must first believe the facts of the gospel. Saving faith believes facts. Of course, it's much more than simply believing facts, as we'll see, but it is not less. You see, the glory of Christianity is that it is a message that is grounded in history. It is objective truth. It is built upon rock-solid facts. It's based on real events from space-time history. And at the center of it all are the facts about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So take, for example, that well-known verse back in Romans 10, verse 9, where Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a historical fact. It really happened, and saving faith must believe it. But, you know, all of this is so countercultural today, isn't it? You and I live in a post-Christian, post-modern world which insists there is no such thing as objective truth anymore. 
So listen carefully, and you'll hear people say, well, this is my truth. What's your truth? You see, truth today is whatever you want it to be. There are no laws, no givens, no absolutes. There's no room for exclusive claims anymore. But this kind of worldview is utterly unbiblical. And so in our evangelism and outreach then, we must courageously contend for the truths of God's Word. For it and it alone is true, necessary, clear, and sufficient. And so we've got to urge people to believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a substitutionary death, that he rose from the grave, that he is coming again to judge the world. These are truths which are basic and essential to saving faith. And only when men and women believe these truths can they be saved. So saving faith believes facts. But as important as that is, it is not enough because believing must lead to calling. That's our final heading. Those who believe must call. Now, this idea of calling out for salvation is such a fitting expression because it describes perfectly what happens to the sinner who grasps their desperate need of salvation. He or she believes the truth of God's Word. They realize that they are deficient before God, that Christ alone is their only hope of salvation. And then with their whole being, they cast themselves on the Lord and call out for salvation. Let's take a real-life example. Let's see this kind of calling in action. Back in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read the story of blind Bartimaeus. Maybe you know it. Jesus has just started out on his journey towards Jerusalem. The crowds of people are following after him. When a blind man called Bartimaeus, who's sitting at the side of the road begging, hears that Jesus is coming, and he starts to call out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But the crowds, they start to rebuke him, tell him to be quiet. But he's desperate, and so he shouts all the more, doesn't he? Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears him says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus replies, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Notice he doesn't ask for money, he asks for sight. He's expressing his complete dependence and total trust on Jesus. And in response, Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Bartimaeus' sight is restored, and he begins to follow Jesus. Do you see what happened? Bartimaeus believed, he called, and he was saved. You see, there's something wonderfully simple about the gospel, isn't there? Now, it's not simplistic, but it is simple. Let me appeal to you then this evening. If you were here and you were not yet saved, let me tell you, you have nothing to pay. 
You have nothing to bring, nothing to add. Jesus Christ has done it all. He, the sinless Son of God, took the sin of his people, satisfied the justice of God, and opened up the way to heaven. You must simply trust him and call on him to save you. This is wonderful news. If you will but call, you will be saved. Saved from sin, from wrath, from hell. Saved for joy, for holiness, and best of all, saved for God himself. If you will but call. Surely there is no news like this news. It's no wonder then that back in our passage in verse 15, Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul here is picking up the words from the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah 52, verse 7. Now, way back then, Isaiah was speaking of the great, the joyous day when the exile in Babylon would end. So picture the scene that Isaiah describes. Imagine the exiled people. They're standing on tiptoe as they watch those swift-footed messengers come over the mountains toward them. Finally, they reach them. Their feet all dirty and dusty. But, oh, they are beautiful feet because they are bringing beautiful news. Thrilling, exhilarating news. Finally, the captivity in Babylon is about to end. Over 70 years of exile is about to finish. Deliverance has come. Restoration is at hand. But notice Isaiah has in mind here something even more wonderful, even more joyous than deliverance from Babylonian captivity. You see, he's looking forward to a glorious future day when true redemption and true salvation comes not just to Israel, but to the whole world. For in verse 10 he says, All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so Paul, he picks up this language, and he understands that the deliverance of the Jews from captivity in Babylon was but a mere picture, a shadow of a far greater salvation that would come to all the peoples of the earth through the preaching of the gospel. In other words, as you and I, fellow Christian, as we go out this evening into the world with this glorious gospel, we bring infinitely better news of an even greater deliverance from far worse captivity into an even grander freedom. Oh, what a privilege. What an honor. What a calling. Reaching the lost. Proclaiming Christ. Heralding the happy news. Sharing the gospel. The greatest news there ever has been or ever will be. Question is, will you play your part? Will you pray for the lost at home and abroad? 
that's the best place to park to start. Why not sign up for a missionary magazine? It doesn't have to be EMF's one. Pick another one that the Lord lays on your heart. Get informed. Be prayerful. Be a world Christian with broad horizons and big petitions. Will you give? Is your heart, is my heart for missions seen in our financial generosity? You see, when we have a genuine zeal for God's glory and compassion for the lost, we'll offer up every part of our lives. We'll want to give and give sacrificially. Or will you go? Yes, it might be across the street, but it might be across the world. Perhaps some of you this evening, some of you can hear again the voice of God in your heart saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And you know it's time for you to say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Oh, may that be our prayer for the joy of the nations and the glory of God. Amen. Amen. 